Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For football people who like football, here come two words for you. Purple Live. This is Purple Live with Matthew Collar. All right, Purple Live show. Matthew Collar along with ESPN's Vikings reporter, Courtney Cronin. Here's what we got for you tonight. So, of course, there's a lot we want to talk about with the Minnesota Vikings offense that is under the spotlight this week after another so-so at best performance probably could categorize it as just being bad. Um, And that's two out of the last three weeks, probably three out of the last four that they really haven't been very explosive. So we will discuss that. But here's what I want to get to. Uh, and and want you to call in with some thoughts on 651-646-8255, 651-646-8255, is the notion of Super Bowl or bust, Courtney, that I was thinking about this a lot, and when we were back in training camp, we were doing Purple Podcasts, in which we talked about the likely regression of the Minnesota Vikings in 2018 and all the factors that could go into this. And one of them was an inexperienced noob offensive coordinator who was calling plays for only the second time in his career and the first time was pretty disastrous, maybe not much of his fault in Cleveland, but it was very hard to tell how John Filippo would perform in really his first shot with a competing team calling plays. And it's all come to fruition. There have been more injuries on defense. They missed Everson Griffin for five weeks. And here we are, a team that has zero wins against winning teams. And maybe uh, Philadelphia will change that eventually and make that a a, a winning team. But even at the time, they weren't a very good team. And so was it wrong for Vikings fans to expect Super Bowl or bust? Like, should they look at themselves in the mirror and say, ah, you know, should have seen this coming with this team this year, that it was going to be much, much more of a struggle rather than buying into the Super Bowl or bust, Cousins is signed here sort of uh, thing that was that was out there. And I know you got asked about it a million times in the offseason. So did I. Super Bowl or bust. Um, but where is your feeling now on that? Yeah, of course. It's incredibly wrong to think of it like that. You have people who cover this team every single day telling you, slow your roll, pump the brakes on that narrative. And you're like, no, optimism. It's going to be different this time. For a franchise that's lost, been to and lost all four Super Bowls, I, I don't see how you can continue to get up for this. I mean, there's only so few franchises <laughs> that will, in sports, that this is our year. This is our year. It's going to happen. The Cubs are honestly the only one because, it you know, of 108 years of suffering. 
I don't understand the need to jump the gun. And I never understood that with the outside expectations. And it's not just fans. Nationally, this was the this was the draw that Vikings got a brand new offensive coordinator. They got a brand new quarterback. They have a great defense. They just coming off a 13 and three season. You just pick back up where you left off. They're a quarterback away. It's not that simple. I don't know why it's so difficult for people to understand that installing a new system with a brand new quarterback who has never been elite at any other point in his career. He's been very good, but he has never moved into that category of the elite of the elite. Why people thought that that was going to be seamless. Why people thought that that was the missing ticket here. It might be. There's three years of it. There's a reason, as I've said, ad nauseum. There's a reason they didn't give him an $84 million one-year contract. The reason it's three years, because this stuff takes time. The notion of Super Bowl or bust is stupid, in my opinion. I don't think it exists anywhere you go. Players hate talking about it because when you put those expectations out there and you don't meet them, and yes, this team internally had very high expectations going into this year that it wouldn't be like this because they never thought Buffalo would happen. They never thought that Daniel Carlson goes in, the guy they traded up into the fifth round for and misses three field goals, that that happens in Green Bay. They never thought these types of things would happen because they thought they were better than this. They thought they were built better than this, and they were. But this is the nature of the NFL. Stuff happens. Injuries happen. Regression happens. The only thing I've, you know, I'm looking at myself and looking back at like things I predicted. The only thing I got wrong so far was that they didn't regress in third down defense. I really thought they would. Mm-hmm. I thought the percentage yeah. would not be nearly hovering around the, it's it's just under 30% right now on third down stops. And they're still number one in that. But I thought that that, that, that 25.2 figure that they had last year would be nowhere close to where they're at right now. And uh, I will take my L on that one. The thing that's, funny for me about that is we laid out almost like a checklist of things that could happen to make them drop back from where they were and you figured a couple of those things would happen but it's really been all of those things mm-hmm. that the offensive line uh, was injured early on and still not great as we go uh, through the season here even when 100% healthy even when Brian O'Neill is playing pretty well as the rookie right tackle uh, which we didn't anticipate but the line is still not very He's good. He's their best offensive lineman right now. Did we see that coming? No. We thought he was a project. The staff thought he was a project. The front office thought he was a project, but they took him anyways. And they're kind of lucky that they did. At least they didn't wait until the third round uh, to get someone because, I mean, that that's just it just shows you kind of the the the, the what happened this year. That if Brian O'Neill, your rookie right tackle, is your best offensive lineman, that's a problem. I don't think I would go that far. I, I, I don't think he's as good as Reef. I think Reef has had two really bad games. Right now he's your best offensive lineman, I think. I don't I, think I'm, so. I'm fine saying that. Reef had an awful game on Sunday. He really struggled. Pat Elfline really struggled. Yeah, they, Elfline, but they, but they schemed, or, they schemed for Pat Elfline, and that yeah. showed up in the tape. And I mean, he's still coming off learning, you know, how to play through shoulder, a brain, basically a new shoulder and a new ankle. I think uh, O'Neal has sort of hung on for dear life, and in in a lot of games where he didn't face great competition, he's been okay. And when he has, he struggled. Uh, the Green Bay game, I thought he had a really tough time. And then, his first his first NFL action. No, no, no. I mean this last Green Bay game, like uh, two Sundays ago. Do you look at that stat where it's you know even before the Green Bay game or it's before the Patriots game where he hadn't given up a sack? How much how much stock do you put into that? Because no. there are a lot of people who like to throw that one out. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm looking at Brian yeah, O'Neill. Not much. Um, because Khalil Mack lined up over Riley over Reef, Riley Reef, yeah, right? and which that still baffles that, well, me. Well, that was and that's and that's on the offensive coordinator for thinking uh, that Riley Reef could handle that one on one when no one can. Uh, there aren't any left tackles in the league 
who could just ha- handle him all day one on one, and that was a mistake. I I actually think that re- that Reef has tried his hardest this year and has overall been pretty good. But there have been some notable bad games, and they came against Jerry Hughes, who's fantastic, and Khalil Mack, mm-hmm. who's fantastic too. I think they've tried to sort of cover up for the weaknesses of Brian O'Neill. But overall, I mean, he's done better than than we thought. We didn't think that he was going to even get in any games, and now he's become a, a solid starter. When you see him getting plowed back into the quarterback and Cousins have to has to wing the ball or check it down. Well, yeah, he didn't give up a sack, but you know, that's not really a very well played down. That's kind of the way I would look at what's happening to O'Neal a lot. Uh, but the point just being that the the checklist on Super Bowl or bust of things that could derail that offensive line was one of them, and that's been a major issue. Injuries on the defense. We see Trey Wayne's get a concussion for the second time, so he's yeah, it's got to be healthy. Right. It happened a so, month ago. Right. So he's he presumably going to be out again as we go forward here. And then you're talking about Marcus Sherrill's getting in games. And we know that if Marcus Sherrill's is playing cornerback, that that's not going to be great. I don't blame any fan for getting super excited when their team signs a quarterback for $84 million. I don't blame any fan for thinking that should mean that it's Super Bowl or bust. I think I would look at the organization and say, if you didn't see X, Y, and Z coming and all of us did, then that could be problematic. But even with the defensive backs, they've had more injuries than you would have ever anticipated. We thought they had a lot of depth there. And it really comes down to, well, the offensive line, and then with Cousins. And did you really want to spend $84 million on this quarterback, who, as you said, has been exactly who he's been this year throughout his entire career? Well, to your point about defensive backs, they were spoiled last year. With, it, with not having injuries. They had not had to deal with that on the defensive side of the ball, and then all of a sudden it's the floodgates this year. It's been something with their, you know, with, with Anderson Dejo, he's now on IR, and obviously with Trey Waynes, Xavier Rhodes is up and down season. He's been hurt just about every single game and battling through something. And then, you know, even with Linville Joseph and, and Everson Griffin missing time, Anthony Barr hamstring goes on and on and on. So, yeah. That's when you think Super Bowl or bust, you're not thinking, oh, there's going to be a slew of injuries that my team has to deal with. In my opinion, from everything that we know from the preseason, from you know the offseason to the preseason to now, I think that there were several voices, important voices, that were not necessarily heard in the conversation of why Kirk Cousins should not be paid $84 million, why he isn't the answer to what the Minnesota Vikings can do long term. I do think you look at that in a vacuum, and right now we're looking at that in one year and in 12 games, mm-hmm. six wins in 12 games. Um, but as, we, as we've heard and talked about, that there was that meeting with Rick Spielman, George Payton, all of them in, the, in one office with Mike Zimmer, Kevin Stefanski, John Filippo, that they all agreed unanimously. If we're going to go all in, we're all going to be on the same page. This is our guy. The market commanded it. I understand that you kind of had your back up against the wall that, hey, if we don't sign him, the Jets are going to, and they're going to pay him $90 million. And if he goes there and we regress because we keep Case Keenum, and, and you just can't predict the future. That's what this boils down to. The $84 million, that, that price tag alone, I think that just that kind of that sexy monetary value Set people up for failure thinking, oh my God, they're, they're paying this much. They must know something we don't. They must know that he's going to be great and he is that missing piece. As we talked about in the last segment, teams struggle for years to find the answer to this, to this big problem. Having a sustainability at quarterback, it's eluded Rick Spielman his entire career. So of course they're going to go after it any chance they get to see if they can actually do this. It has not been the case here for the last decade. 
Rick has not had quarterback stability as a GM since Miami, and even then that was messy. But, I mean, I think that the price tag on Cousins alone gave false expectations that if you're paying this much, you expect results right away. Let's go to Alex in Wisconsin. What's up, Alex? Hey, how's it going, guys? Doing good, man. Hi, Alex. Hey, so um, thanks for taking my call. Wanted to, uh, so first of all, I know you guys are talking about Kirk Cousins getting paid that much, and is this like, you know, Super Bowl or bust? I don't think it's ever Super Bowl or bust, Courtney. I think you're totally spot on. You know, it's going to take a while to get everything on the same page. You know, there's a lot of moving parts, and, and now Kirk Cousins is here, and it's, it's going to take a while, and there's, you know, at, at least a three-year window, I'd say, and the core of the defense should stay fairly the same, and, and same thing with Diggs and Thielen and Cook, so... On that front, I think it isn't this year, bus, which is why I'm not, you know, overly concerned. But I, I kind of did want to talk about real quickly um, some of the hate that John D. Filippo has been getting for Sunday afternoon's game. And really, what I would like to say is, um, you know, you, you look at 44 passes, 13 rushes, and you, you think, oh my gosh, we need to run the ball with Dalvin more. And after the game, I was frustrated. I thought, you know, we needed to run it more. What happened? So Monday, I went back and kind of looked at it, and. Looking at Kirk Cousins' passes, okay, so he throws six passes on the two-minute drill uh, in the second quarter when we score a touchdown, and then he throws 14 passes after uh, we go down by 14 points. So that's 20 of his throws right there. I mean, they ran it with Dalvin nine times. Two more were on called back on holding calls, and then they threw to him ten times, and a couple of those were some pretty good uh, but poorly executed screen passes. You know, one he got tripped up in the fourth quarter when they got him singled up with a linebacker. But really what I would say is, it's frustrating that we weren't able to run the ball more, but the Patriots scored to go up 17-10. to 10. We ran three plays, and they scored again. So it was almost like once we tied it up, there was no chance to really run the ball again. So while I understand the frustration, I don't think it's the end of the world, and I don't think that DeFilippo did as bad as it looks uh, on the surface. Thanks, Alex. Great call. Alex, grinding the tape. Listen, did you hear that? He's talking about going back. He's looking yeah, back over plays. That's awesome. Love callers like that. And to his point... What Mike Zimmer said yesterday, and then he backtracked on it, but once it's out there, it's out there. He believes that they panicked on that drive mm-hmm. after, you know, the two missed calls for pass interference with Aldrick Robinson and Adam Thielen results in that 39-yard field goal that, you know, thank God Matt Weil actually made it out onto the field in time to, you know, make sure the hold wasn't off-center for Dan Bailey. I thought you'd laugh at that. Um, this, to me is a matter of this that you know that this they had their back against the wall. They felt okay, if we don't score here, if we don't take some shots, if we don't try, you know, if, if we get stuffed on a third and one again per for, per se, mm-hmm. um then Brady goes and does what he was already going to do anyways. Go back down and score there at the start of the fourth quarter. I think in the 2 minute drive, they probably could have even run the ball two more times there. I went back and looked. I think that there were other opportunities to do it. But you kind of understand with what Mike Zimmer was saying and they panicked. I think they panicked because they felt they had to score. And they felt that even though it didn't make a whole ton of sense, because at that point they were facing a lot of third and longs and Kirk was going after under intermediate routes and, and under routes, I just didn't understand um, that that was their best way to do it. it. The thing that I would like to know a little bit more of where Dalvin Cook's usage kind of trips me up when I look at this is wondering... Just why on that play on that on that next drive after the game's tied up or after uh, after it's tied up and then the Patriots go down and make it seventeen ten why Dalvin wasn't in there I understand its usage and Dalvin had been in the past three series but when your back's against the wall like that even to get him involved in the passing game a little bit why he wasn't in 
I think that uh, the John D. Filippo pressure doesn't just have to do with not running the ball. It's also averaging four yards a drop back. I mean, just that their passing game overall with this quarterback and these weapons has been mediocre. In a lot of categories, they're middle of the pack. And I think that we expected a lot more than that. And then when you seemingly get owned by Bill Belichick and your game plan doesn't allow you to succeed in the passing game, and there may be some you know small spots, one ball is a foot short or whatever, but that you know it really wasn't effective throughout the whole day. And so I think it wasn't just the handing off and run to pass uh, ratio. I think it has a lot to do with you know just the overall effectiveness of that against Chicago and then against the Patriots. So when you play a good defense, can you still continue to move the ball through the air? Uh, let's go to Andy in Bloomington here. What's up, Andy? Hey, how you guys doing? Hey, doing Andy. So uh, with the Super Bowl or bust deal, I'm I'm kind of on board. Same thing with Courtney is that, you know I didn't necessarily anticipate that the Vikings were going to be a Super Bowl team at all this year. However, I will say that I did not think that they were going to have any issues in winning the division. Uh, so that's been kind of a surprise. Uh, also, going back to what Courtney was saying, I think a lot of us expected that there was going to be some offensive issues. Uh, you know, implementing a new offense, new quarterback, and everything. But at the same time, I kind of anticipated that I would see some improvement throughout the year. And to me, it seems almost like we're getting worse. Mm -hmm. Uh, The last few games, well, Packers game was decent, but uh, three out of the last four games, I'm having flashbacks of like the Tavares Jackson era. (laughs) And I, I, I never thought that we would see that again, especially paying what we did for Cousins. Granted, he's not Aaron Rodgers, he's not Tom Brady, but... I just don't understand if that's uh, an issue with the new system, if it's an issue with the offensive line. Yes, we've had some injuries, but, uh, you know, that's what the front office is paid for is to try to put the best team they can out on the field. And I don't understand how everybody saw this coming uh, offensive line-wise, and they didn't. That's what's been the most frustrating thing for me. Well, Andy, uh, thanks for the call, man. Um, we were saying it draft night on the Purple Podcast, same sort of deal. Is I'm just going to go back in. Like, I wish I recorded so sure. my conversations that I had with you in April, and I just wish we could just play them out here. They are recorded, I think. Well, I think we should podcast. just we should go back to our like April 27th <laughs> podcast that we did in the Sid Hartman media room after the fact, that little tiny one. Yes, um, and we can just play that out for the rest of the show because we projected this. Yeah, Everyone did. Yeah, I think, uh, and most fans that, that we talked to, did. yeah, most fans that we talked to said this offensive line is probably not going to be good enough and could be an issue. But now this is something that I want to talk about with you next, and we'll we'll stay on this. Take your calls on the Super Bowl or bust thing, uh, and maybe there's some people out. Who have not completely given up on it yet? I mean, after the Packers win, everyone's high, and then after the uh, Patriots loss, they're very, very low on this team. So if you haven't given up on it yet, six five one six four six eight two five five is the phone number. But let's talk about where the Vikings stand and whether they can solve some of their issues on offense. Purple Live Show: Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin. In a sea of purple, this is one deep dive. It's Purple Live with Matthew Collar. All right, back here on the Purple Live show, Matthew Collar along with ESPN Vikings reporter Courtney Cronin as we discuss and kind of look back at the notion of Super Bowl or bust and whether you've given up on it or whether we should have seen it coming that that wasn't going to work out that way for this team. 
or if you thought maybe it was ridiculous from the beginning. And I think that we both thought here that Super Bowl was a possibility when you have a really good defense that wasn't going to go anywhere and when you have a, a lot of playmakers that they have and you're bringing in a quarterback who's had some success in the league statistically, um, then you figure, okay, yeah, if you fix some of those issues he had in D.C., then maybe you're talking about a team that's right there at the end. That I don't think any of us looked at it and said, oh, yeah, like they're going to go 15-1, and one, run away from everyone. You just can't really do that in the NFL Unless you're may, the Rams. unless maybe you're the Rams or or New Orleans and you've really hit your true peak, uh, Rams kind of remind me of the '98 Vikings, where it's just an unstoppable offense, and week after week they just put up these incredible numbers. Do you think but, they're going to miss a field goal in the Super Bowl? Well, that, you know their kicker, I don't think, is all that good, so that's very possible. Um, but you know we knew the Vikings didn't have that level of offense, even though they were bringing in Kirk Cousins. So I, I guess how are you feeling now about that? And uh, we had the caller earlier who's now looking at it like, well, it's a three-year type of thing. But the caution I would give against that is that defenses, when they fall apart, they fall apart kind of quick. And we've seen that with Seattle. They're not an abomination. That, was, that defense, wasn't a quick falling apart, though. That was, was a long, over dragged out years. death. Like that over was over a couple years. Yeah, that, that wasn't quick. But to your point on that, the window here, when you talk when you talk about Super Bowl windows, I think that's fair. I think Super Bowl or bust is stupid, and I got a little hot on that earlier, so I apologize. But I think the window that you talk about is based on your highest paid player on the team, your best player on the team, allegedly, what that's supposed to be. So you look at it through Kirk Cousins' window because they haven't had a franchise quarterback and quarterback stability. Over that three-year period, though, while many pieces of this roster are in place, a lot of it has to change. Next year, Kyle Rudolph has to restructure. Andrew Sandejo's probably gone. Anthony Barr could be gone. Mm-hmm. Free agency, they're not big players here. What do you do with Anthony Harris? I mean, is he your starting safety opposite Harrison Smith next year, or do you move on from him? He has, you have to sign his tender or you know match his offer sheet or let him go because he's a restricted free agent. What does that do for Sheldon Richardson? I mean, if you want to keep these pieces in place, if you think that this is a Super Bowl roster, which on paper it is, no one's denying that, but it's just a matter of putting those pieces together and having this longevity over two to three more years that I just don't know is realistic. Yeah, I think the or bust uh, sort of assumes that your window slammed shut after this. And that should not entirely be looked at as the case, but also there will be a lot of work to done uh, to do for the front office if they're going to keep that window open. Uh, because it looks a little bit like a 13 and three NFC championship that you missed your chance there. Mm-hmm. That's how it looks right now. And so I don't want to get into should they do this? Should they do that in the off season? Cause we will have six months to do that coming up. But as far as this team right now, I, I don't think we're at a point where we can argue that they are in that window at this moment. Because they're just basically a 500 team that has a has a tie. They're a 500. They have six wins in 12 games, and that's not what anyone expected. Even us, I think, expected uh, much better than this at this point in the season. I think we got hammered for projecting 10 and six. I projected it in April. Yeah, we yeah, went there were through, lots of people who, our game who didn't by game. Love that. Yeah. And to a point that one of our callers brought up earlier, that they thought they would win the division. I mean, they had a really hard schedule. I think that that's something that people fail to constantly bring up, that this is the hardest part of their schedule right now, but look back at what it was when they went to the, they had the Rams and then they went to the Eagles in back-to-back weeks. That was no cakewalk. Yes, they, they escaped Philadelphia. That wasn't an easy win for them. That was a two-point game. 
this whole thing, this whole notion that this was going to be, uh, you know, a give me type year. I don't think it's fair in the slightest. I think that you have to look at the big picture here. All of the changes, all of the new things on top of the schedule. The schedule was the killer. I mean, this is one of, if not the hardest schedule. I know people are going to look statistically at a lot of different things and be like, oh, well, you know, Green Bay had just as hard of a schedule, if not more. I mean, that that's for me is why I'd never projected the Vikings to win the NFC North this year. Let's go to uh, Dave in St. Paul here. What's going on, Dave? Hey, guys. Great show. Um, I got a couple comments here, and I think um, – Losing Nick Easton was absolutely crucial to this team. Mm-hmm. And, and looking at this from a scheme standpoint here, watching the game yesterday, I mean, it's simple as this, is they cover up Pat Elfline, and our guards can't even get over to pick them up in a zone scheme. I mean, we are so limited at the guards, there isn't much we can do. So really, if you look at those runs, in my opinion, those runs from uh, – Dalvin Cook, that's hitting the cutback lane. That's mm-hmm. not having. That's not having blocking from your offensive line. And uh, quite honestly, we're not capable as an offensive line of running any kind of power scheme. Um, we can't. We can't move a three technique with a down block. And so right now, we are so so limited on what we can do that honestly, if we run the ball more, I mean, what's it going to accomplish at this mm-hmm. point? Imagine if that run. Great call, Dave. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Dave. Imagine if that run where he picked up about 30 yards on the cutback, if that was just a designed outside run to begin with. Well, and that's a thing that you would wonder about from the running scheme all year that your tackles are your two best players right now on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. And so running up the middle routinely is not great. I, I dug up this stat today that when Delvin Cook runs out of the shotgun, he averages seven yards a carry. When it's under center, it's Two and a half. Because he's getting hit so quickly that, behind right. the line of scrimmage. And, and that's part of the Super Bowl or bust thing, neglecting that guard position and then leaving it in a spot where Tom Compton would have to start was clearly clearly an issue from the very beginning, and I think it's been even bigger than they thought it would be. Let's go to uh, Treat in Deer River. What's up, man? I think the Super Bowl or bust thing was a little ridiculous just because I know you'll disagree with me. But I think the Vikings overvalued, and I think people in general, fans, media, overvalued their roster because we don't have a third wide receiver. It's obvious we don't have guards. And Rudolph, although he's an okay tight end, he's not dynamic. And this isn't just because we signed Kirk Cousins. We didn't have these things before we had him. You know, so I think that, and now our defense is getting older, so... We're almost in the rebuild phase after the next two years, you know. And I don't think Cousins Cousins can't elevate your team. It's obvious he can't. Just like you said, Collar, all last spring. And I thought, well, maybe he will be able to hear because Washington's a dumpster fire. But you're 100% <laughs> right on that. So, uh, I'm just going to take my- that and replay that over and over again. You're 100% right, Collar. Thank- uh, I appreciate the call. And you know what? I think that you're right that a lot of people did overvalue some of the weapons and, and the supporting cast for Cousins because his best year, 2016 in Washington, I did an article really looking close. 
Like their offensive line was super good that year and healthy, which Washington's hasn't been since then. They had Deshaun Jackson, Pierre Garçon. They had two very good tight ends. Like their weapons were were better. And Delvin Cook has not been healthy the whole year. And when he has been, their running game has been mostly ineffective. And so I think that his weapons were actually better there. And if you want to get that much out of him, you're going to have to continue to build up these weapons to be that Super Bowl team. Let's take one more call real quick, and then we got Mike Remmer, uh, Renner from Pro Football Focus coming up next. What's up, Jimmy? Hey, guys. Great program. Um, you know, listen to a lot of the other networks around town, et cetera, and you guys. You know, one thing that's not talked about is I really don't think Zimmer's a great coach. I mean, let's just – I think he's a good defensive coach, but I think – First off, I think kickers are afraid to make mistakes, which is why they do that. I think Cousins is playing scared because he's afraid to make a mistake. I think in this day and age, your coaches have to be a little different breed of cat. And honestly, you know, I think Andy Reid's morphed. Um, Courtney, I think you said it in the previous program. You don't have to be a 35-year-old guy, but you have to have an attitude that promotes what people do best, the Viking scheme does not take into consideration the weaknesses on this team. Coach Zimmer doesn't take into consideration that these new type of players do not respond well to fear. It's just the reality. And I don't, I don't hear Zimmer being called out with any credibility on any other network, including this one. So I just want to pass hmm. that on. Well, I, I, great show. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Jimmy. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Well, we're going to take a break and we're going to bring on Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus, but I promise to circle back to that, Jimmy, on Mike Zimmer because I I don't exactly agree with that, um, that, that his coaching has been an issue this year. And I'll, I'll explain why, but we've got our statistical analyst is going to take a look at if we should still consider this Vikings team good and in the hunt next with uh, Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus when we come back on the Purple Live Show. Purple, purple, and more purple. This is Purple Live with Matthew Collar. Okay, back here on the Purple Live Show. Matthew Collar along with Courtney Cronin. All right, we're going to pivot back to where I wanted to go with the call from our last segment with Jimmy. And we will see if we can connect with Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus here in a few minutes. Um, but the the call was about Zimmer not being a good head coach. And I can't get on board with that at all. And I, I start with the macro and then work toward the micro here. So in the big picture, you have a coach that is, what, 20 games over 500 with the quarterbacks, Matt Castle starting opening day 2014, rookie quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater, and then second year with him. He gets hurt. You have Sam Bradford who had to come in on the first day and then had the offensive line completely fall apart. You still go 8-8, eight and 13-3 eight, and three with Case Keenum. And then here you are, you're in the mix with a lot of things that have gone wrong, including your best defensive player, is gone for five weeks because of a mental health issue. Your defensive backs have gotten hurt uh, and still uh, number six in the NFL in defense. And on the offensive side, Mike Zimmer is not the one who went all in on Kirk Cousins. He's not the one who did not draft an offensive lineman in the first round or sign one. Um, he is He's not the one that's been calling the plays. And I don't know of what team doesn't have their offensive coordinator being empowered to be the the offensive coordinator. I mean, this is a I think it's a wrong criticism of Zimmer to say, oh, he, he just gives all the responsibility to the offensive coordinator, right? That's a job. 
Like, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to hire someone to run your offense, and no one had a problem with it when it was Pat Shermer. When it was Pat Shermer, it was, oh, great, they've got this great situation because Shermer is really, really good at his job. And they thought that John Filippo would be too. And the fact that he isn't, Zimmer has tried to fix it, it seems like, but the, the fact that he has not been great at his job, I don't look at as being on the head coach. I look at this as being a season that we saw a lot of problems coming, and there have been, and he's actually, through the media, I think especially, navigated it pretty well. He hasn't thrown cousins under the bus. Yeah. I what is he what has he done? I, I really I, this, this, I, the criticisms I, I think are completely are disagree with you on the empowering of his offensive coordinator. It's a lot of backtracking, fake empowerment, essentially, with oh, there's too much volume in the playbook, and uh, we should just you know stick to what we do best, stop trying to trick the team, then the next week saying, well, all you guys were on Flip's ass last week, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, like, we know how Mike Zimmer's going to no, be in the media. Then he's going to be honest in the media. That, that's not honest. That's BS, because he's the one who put that out there. And, and then let me, but let me say about what happened yesterday. Sometimes I think what Zimmer doesn't say speaks louder to, than what he does say. And the notion of how, you know, kind of how, you know, curtailed his responses were, after the Patriots game where he said, you know, it was asked about what can you do to make the offense, you know, kind of get back in a rhythm, gel where it was before. Same things I've been saying all year. That's a passive-aggressive response. And then somebody says, well, what about the run game? Do you think you utilize it enough? N-O, period. I think that those are little subtle jabs that that stuff, I'm sorry, that's toxic. That's not how you handle this. And to the point where Zimmer said, Maybe I need to be a little bit more involved. Maybe I need to let George Edwards make some defensive adjustments in game so I can focus on special teams and make sure my holder's out on the field before one second to to make sure the hold isn't off the center so my kicker misses a 48-yard field goal. Maybe I can help out with the offense and kind of be a little bit more of a lending ear during the game because it's hard as a head coach. You have 20 responsibilities going on. You can't be involved in everything, but... That's why I think the next four games could define this season as the best coaching job he's done because it'll show you how he handles the gray area where it's not just black and white. Well, we don't run the ball enough. I've been saying it for the last few weeks. Do something about it. This is your chance to do something about it, to not only game plan for Russell Wilson and how you slow down a very rich man's Mitch Trubisky, because that's their last example of this, but how you are able to put your fingerprints on this game plan and be okay with it offensively because at the end of the day, you're the head coach. The buck stops with you. Well, I just, I think that it's funny that when you have a great offensive coordinator who's having everything click and a schedule that works for you, a lot of things fell their way, including the Aaron Rodgers injury last year and Case Keenum is having a magical season and all those sorts of things that it's totally fine that Zimmer is hands off with the offense. And then when the offensive coordinator has some struggles, especially against Bill Belichick on the road, which I think he's the first uh, offense to ever have that problem, right? To ever have problems against Bill Belichick on the road or the first offense to go into Chicago and have some problems, right? With this defense with Khalil Mack. Um, but yeah, that's not to defend some of the issues that they've had with game planning. It's just to say that we've sort of rewritten the narrative on there of a coach that's handled it the same twice. One time it worked out, the other time he expected it to because they hired John Filippo and they signed Kirk Cousins to have an explosive offense, and it hasn't really been there. One, because Kirk Cousins turns the ball over a lot. And, and because when they're down by 14, he wings it into double coverage for an interception, which I guess is the head coach's fault. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it just is amazing that he's doing 
the same sort of things last year, and he's in the running for coach of the year, and we're all talking about how well he's handled everything, and he would be occasionally blunt in press conferences about Case Keenum, but no one criticized him for that. We laughed at the comments that he made. Oh, man, he's really harsh on Case. Moving along, another win for the Vikings, so he must be a genius. And then his defense has done, I think, really well this year considering some of the hurdles that they've had to go over. And he's made a lot of the adjustments, which you hope a coach will do, and yet, and yet, because the record isn't that way, the people who were waiting in the weeds from 2016 or whatever who decided what they thought of Zimmer then ha- have now cropped back up to say that he's not a good head coach and should be fired. I don't think that at all. I think that there's there's an ebb and flow of this entire process. He's five years into being a head coach. He's learned. He's a, he's evolved. You don't you, self self discovery and self growth is about the best thing in your life that you can track on a daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly process. And I think that as a head coach, he's grown. But there's still areas where you know when you're talking about when we're talking about him wanting to get more involved in the offensive game plan, we haven't seen that too much yet. We did, you know, apparently that meeting that. He had several meetings that week leading into the Green Bay game with Kirk Cousins. Apparently, that paid off. He told him to run a little bit more. He, you know, with Kyle Rudolph, he kind of quelled some of those frustrations that he had. How much of that actually translated to him telling John D. Filippo, "Hey, this is what we want to do"? Because he did say yesterday. I asked him point blank. Does does Flip have the same autonomy to design, call, and execute plays that Pat Shermer did? And he said, yeah, it was like pretty much the same. I don't remember the exact quote, but he didn't just outright say, yes, it was, yeah, pretty much the same for sure. Like, And that, what's your role? And he's, he said, I'm always involved in that. He's not a coach that is... From you know, from the outside perspective, that's going to just kind of push everything off. Be like, well, I handle defense. You guys handle the offense. In special teams, you do what you do. A good, a good coach, and what he's been for the last, you know, better part of the last five years is somebody who's got their hands in everything. I think it's just managing it. And when there is a crisis, and when there is a situation where your offense is really running into a brick wall because Kirk Cousins is flinging it to Laquan Treadwell on fourth and eleven. Um, you know, on a, on a you know four yard dump off, that's a problem. And I don't know if if it's not being solved the way that you like it, and you keep harping on the same thing. Actions speak louder than words. Get more involved in it this week. Have your fingerprints all over that game plan, so you can walk away from Seattle saying, "I did everything I had to do," and taking ownership for it. I think is is where we're going to see this. So I think that going into Green Bay, he did get his hands on the whole thing and did resolve a lot of issues. Well, that's what I said but with then, the meeting with Kirk Cousins, right? But then it didn't it didn't carry over because the Patriots are a Super Bowl caliber team with an all-time quarterback and an all-time great defensive mind, and they got out-schemed and beat, and their quarterback didn't play well. And so all of a sudden it's, oh, wait, he did something wrong this time. Like I, I, I think that he's been following the same process for the entire time he's been here, and because the North thing went wrong, although it ended up ultimately going right with Pat Shermer, you went to the right guy, but because he took his hands off and let Norv handle it and, and – the offense wasn't maybe as good as it could have been in some situations that we decided that how he was handling it was wrong. But then last year it was right, so we just didn't bring it up because they did well. And now since things have gone wrong, we bring it up again. So we sort of arbitrarily decide based on the results whether he's doing it the right way. Uh, we we will have Mike Ren- Renner here from Pro Football Focus. I want to talk about that first because it was a really good call from Jimmy and Phoenix and appreciate that. But we're going to take a quick break and then we'll wrap up with Mike Renner when we come back. 
This is One Deep Dive. It's Purple Live with Matthew Collar. All right, back here on Purple Live, we welcome in for Pro Football Focus, Mike Renner. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Okay, let's uh, get right into it uh, here, Mike, with the Minnesota Vikings. In your vision, how good of a team is this right now? Because they have wins against the bad teams and they have losses against the good teams. Do we have any reason to think that the Vikings should be considered a real contender? I think there is reason. I think it's because they offer something that not a lot of teams in the NFC right now do, and that's a good defense. I think for as much as you know, it hasn't been the same defense that we saw a season ago, I think on any given Sunday they are capable of playing like an elite defense. I think they still have the talent back there, just hasn't manifested you know, week in and week out like it did a season ago. So I think they're a team that's very inconsistent because of one big thing. It's because of so how weak they are along the offensive line. It's just made their passing game so inconsistent the fact that it's blocking for a quarterback in Kirk Cousins who's been very inconsistent over the course of his career so you're going to have these peaks and valleys as a team uh, and I think that at this moment is just who they're going to be with the talent they have well I'm looking at the current playoff picture and in the way the seating is right now obviously with Washington's loss last night that slid them back into the sixth seed and, and we expect this obviously to change um, this is such a weekly thing Two, kind of a twofold question here. So in that right now they're seated to play the the Bears in Chicago in that wild card game, uh, the first weekend of the season. But potentially whatever happens this week, the team that's ahead of them is Seattle. You know they could be playing in Dallas wild card weekend. Certainly Dallas would be the better draw there. I don't think there's any denying that. Do you think though at any point now? the Vikings will be able to possibly push for the NFC North title, given that the Bears have to go play. I mean, I think they have them at home this weekend, but they've got the Rams. Is there any way that you see that happening? Or at this point for the Vikings, should they just hope that they draw Dallas in the first round? I think it's possible. I don't think it's uh, likely, though. I do see the Bears, while they probably lose to the Rams this upcoming week with, you know, injury that quarterback position, it's just going to be difficult for the Vikings to go three straight going into Chicago, which is how we've seen them this week. Going to Seattle this week on Monday night, is it going to be a tough atmosphere? So I still foresee them making the playoffs, Minnesota, but I think it's a little far-fetched to see them taking the division at this point. Let's talk about Seattle. Um, I think at the beginning of the year, there were a lot of folks who thought that Seattle wouldn't be any good at all because their roster was starting to fall apart. And then there's the Earl Thomas thing. He eventually gets hurt and is out for the year. Yet they continue to survive it uh, because they have a great quarterback. I mean, how good of a team is this overall? Or is it just the Russell Wilson show? I think it's a fairly good team overall. I do think they have weaknesses on defense. They've really struggled to affect opposing passers this season they've kind of made up for it with uh some you know it's been one of b carroll's i think his best seasons as a head coach because of how just how little talent they have on the back end but how much they've sort of protected it uh on this defense with scheme and whatnot uh so I, I do think that they while i don't think they're near the seahawks teams we've seen in years past i think they have balance offensively and they're capable of both running the football and passing the football at a high level i think one thing that's been lost and sort of their resurgence in this run game is that they have utilized Russell Wilson in the running game again. They run a ton of actual options again, whereas 
Uh, you know, after a few years ago with the injuries to Russell Wilson, they sort of went away from that, uh, and their run game suffered accordingly. But now they're back to one of the best run games in the NFL, uh, and they have the balance that uh, so many teams so often crave. One thing that I think is interesting with Russell Wilson's season, that as effective as, it, as it's been and as efficient as he's been in terms of, you know, passing attempts and, and you know, everything in that realm – that it's still going to be lower. Like, I don't think a lot of people consider this one of his best seasons yet, but those numbers are going to be potentially shattering some of his previous records. I mean, he has a, you know, his best touchdown interception ratio, uh, touchdowns per pass attempts, passer rating, things like that. Is he throwing the ball differently now? I mean, it just seems like the way that this season started to where they're at right now and they're just surging in the NFC playoff picture, certainly it has to do with him. But it's almost like, in my opinion, I'm curious to see what you think, if if he's throwing the ball differently, if he's executing at a different level right now and, and what that might be. I don't really think he's executing at a different level. I think they're just asking uh, sort of a different uh, – it, it almost it kind of reminds me of back when he was a rookie. They didn't ask too much of him within the offense it was make plays with the football down the field make plays off of a in a play action heavy offense and not necessarily drop back out of shotgun every single time uh and uh you know carry our offense like they've asked him in some recent seasons it's been a lot of like i said they've had the balance and they've had the threat of that option game which is it really helped him out from a passing perspective i think he has one of the best i think he has actually the best passer rating off of play action passes this season and a lot of it's because if he's a threat himself to run, and that just alters the eyes of the defense. And so I, uh, a lot of credit to Brian Schottenheimer, what he's done with that offense. A lot of he's caught a lot of flack for how much they've run the ball this season, but I think it's been uh, actually helpful to Russell Wilson in that regard. Mike, can I go back? We're talking with uh, Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus here for a couple of more minutes. I just want to go back to something you mentioned about Kirk Cousins because I pulled his Pro Football Focus grades for his whole career and I made a cool chart, which you would appreciate. Uh, yeah. and, and it showed exactly what you said, the the ups and downs. And each year was kind of the same thing. It's like a roller coaster. And I, I wonder if you think that Cousins is capable of putting together a stretch good enough consistently because we've seen him goes to Chicago, not good. Then against Green Bay, he's excellent. And then against uh, New England, not good. And, and that's sort of been the whole season, that if he's capable of putting together a stretch good enough to take this team through the playoffs or if there are just so many ups and downs with him that that's going to be really difficult. I think that's what they banked on uh, when they signed him was the high-level play with the fact that you can get – a level of play from Kirk Cousins that you simply just weren't going to get from Case Keenum. Now, Case Keenum, his consistency last year was why they won so many games in a row, and the fact that you know he avoided you know those sort of awful games that we've seen from Kirk Cousins at times was why they you know ended up doing so well from him. But at the same time, it wasn't enough to carry them through three games in the playoffs against the best in the NFL. And so you brought in Kirk Cousins because he has that capability. And I was actually just talking with this. Uh, with uh, Steve Palazzolo and Eric Eater, two of the guys at Pro Football Focus in the office today about you pick three games, you know, any three-game sample size from Kirk Cousins, a random sample, you could make him look like a Hall of Famer. You could make him look like a very average quarterback. You could make him look like one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL pretty much every single year of his career. So if you get that random three-sampling of Hall of Fame play, that could carry them through the playoffs. And so I think that's what you're banking on as a Vikings fan is hopefully just catching lightning in a bottle because – NFC is pretty loaded this year. You're not going to win it with Case Keenum. So, do you have a sense, Mike, for what they need to do to get that out of them? Is there is there any 
Is there any trend in those games when you look at them, his grades throughout uh, Washington and then and then here? Is there any trend that his team has done to support him or way he's played or usage of some kind that would give you a sense for what they need to do in order to get him there? Well, I think the biggest thing is just keep him away from pressure. It's easier said than done, but you have to do everything in your power to not let him be pressured at the rate he's been pressured at because he's been, I think, among the top five quarterbacks in the NFL in terms of pressure rate, almost 40% of his dropbacks this season, which is it's just unsustainable. No one in the NFL, I don't care who you are at the quarterback position, can perform at a high level with that much pressure on you. And so you really, if you're the Minnesota Vikings, you have two receiving threats. You have Stephon Diggs. You have Adam Thielen. Pretty much no one else has really staked their claim as being, even Laquan Trail has not they have not staked their claim as being a viable receiving threat that teams are even afraid of. Put in as many pass protectors as you can. Give your offensive line as much help as humanly possible mm-hmm. and let those two go to work because I think that's your best option at this point. Yeah, and play action and bootlegs and rolling him away from yeah. pressure have worked really well. Uh, Mike Renner, glad we could catch up with you. Follow Mike on Twitter at PFF. Mike, thanks for coming on. For sure. Thanks for having me. That is uh, Mike Renner, and we have to say goodbye. So follow Mike on Twitter, and I've got an article coming out about uh, Kirk Cousins and the no huddle. Talked about that uh, quite a bit. They, I mean, so. that's a good point because they ran it on that two-minute drive, and it makes sense why they'd want to run it some more because it was effective. Exactly. All right, that's it for us. We have college hoops coming up next. Jimmy V Classic. There you go. All right, basket hoops. Bye. <laughs> Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.